Welcome to the Howler Podcast. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Mary. And we are on episode three. <laughs> Thank you everyone for continuing to listen. We again got such great feedback on our last episode with Adam Mare. Um, just so many fun stories. I still can't believe the FBI story. Yeah. And then my comment about keeping my mouth open for four minutes, you know, sometimes you just don't think about what you're saying until, <laughs> until after it's said. And then you have to hear yourself on a podcast. Until it's memorialized in time forever. A hundred percent. But no, thank you again to everyone listening and please continue to listen and share um, your favorite gems and nuggets and learnings in the Howler Slack channel. Yeah, it was such a good episode. I feel like I've really been thinking a lot, especially about the things Adam had to say about well-being and leadership, a lot of really Mm -hmm. good insights shared. And speaking of well-being, we're recording this as we wrap up October, and October held World Mental Health Day. So there were some things shared from our mental health and well-being PAC Alliance leaders about ways to invest in your mental health and well-being um, and lots of great stuff in that Slack channel for those of you that are part of the pack. But I thought we could just take a moment, Chelsea, to chat about mental health and well-being. What's something that mm. you do to prioritize your mental health and well-being? Mm, that's a great question. I feel like I do a lot of things. Um, I did do a challenge most recently back in 2022, um, where I did yoga and meditated every day. Wow. So for 365 days. <laughs> um, so that was really great. But I will say that I have fallen off a little bit in 2023. <laughs> and it's funny that you bring up this topic because I was just thinking a couple days ago, like, I really should get back into meditating. Um, yeah. Even if it's just for two minutes, five minutes, whatever I can squeeze in. Um, I don't think I realized how much it was impacting my mental health until I've stopped doing it, Um, especially when you're doing it every day and it just becomes part of your routine, you know? Yeah. Um, So I would say that. And then another thing that I loved um, that I think, I don't remember who shared in the, um, in the Alliance channel and mental health and well-being um, was around positive rephrasing. Um, And so something I've worked on really hard in the past is removing the word should from my self-talk. Like, oh, I should have done that or, oh, you know, those types of thinking. Um, And that has really made a lot of difference. What about you? I love that. Um, My New Year's resolution this year was to focus on sleep. Um, Mm. I feel like as I've gotten older, I've really started to realize I can't do it all and burn the candle at both ends all the time. And for me, I'm such a um, busy person. And I often, the first thing to sacrifice is my well-being and I'll sacrifice sleep to fit everything in or get everything done. But it was starting to catch up with me. And I really, this year have, I just feel like sleep is a silver bullet. Like if I'm well rested, I'm in a better mood. I'm able to wake up early and get my workout in in the morning, which really sets the trajectory for the rest of my day. Um, So a couple of things I've done to focus on better sleep is I put my phone to bed in the kitchen 
Mm. Um, so that I don't like look at it first thing before or last thing at the end of the day before I go to sleep. And it's not the first thing I see when I wake up. And I also have a digital sunset. So my phone mm -hmm. goes off at 9 p.m. So that for an hour before bed, it's already charging and I'm not looking at now. Am I perfect at this? Absolutely not. But even just that little rhythm of not being on my device so much and mm -hmm. being on sleep has been huge for me. So I just think, I know I was trying to pull it up really quick while we were talking, but I know, I think the CDC reports that one in four people experience mental illness and Gallup, which they do a ton of research and data on employee engagement. They say that we're like the global workforce is more stressed than it's ever been and well-being is at an all-time low. And I think just important to take a moment to say like you matter and your well-being is the foundation to your success. So if you're in a hard season right now, you're not alone. There's lots of resources you can leverage at the pack. I would highly encourage the Slack channel that Chelsea mentioned, Pack Mental Health and Wellbeing. A ton of pack members in that channel. They share really encouraging things. Um, just a great place to find support and encouragement and tips if you want them. But if you're listening, you're, you matter and, and, you're, and your wellness matters and we hope you're okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there you have it. Mary's um, words of wisdom for episode three. This is our new segment we started last week or last month. Um, that was great, Mary. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. Um, okay. Well, should we jump in and introduce our guests for this episode? Yes, such a great convo. I'm excited for everyone. Yes. So we had the opportunity to sit down with Dan Schiappa, our chief product officer, here at Arctic Wolf. And Dan is responsible for driving innovation across product engineering, alliances, and business development teams to help meet demand for security operations through Arctic Wolf's growing customer base, especially in the enterprise sector. Before joining Arctic Wolf, Dan was CPO with Sophos. Previously, Dan served as senior VP and general manager of the Identity and Protection Group at RSA, the security division of EMC. And before his tenure at RSA, he held several GM positions at Microsoft, including Windows Security, Microsoft Passport, and Mobile Services. Wow, what a career. And we really do dive into that in the episode yeah. as well. Yeah, it's a good one. Lots of good wisdom. And Dan's just had, like Chelsea said, an incredible career. So really fun to hear his leadership lessons and just to get a peek behind the curtain into the mind of a chief product officer. Um, before mm -hmm. we jump into the episode, uh, you'll notice if you're watching that Chelsea and I have some cool swag on. And if you're listening, I'll describe in the episode, in our chat with Dan, we're wearing, um, I'm holding it up now for those that are watching, but I was wearing a puffer vest and um, Chelsea was wearing a long sleeve tee. Oh, she has it too, with like a pocket tee that's branded with the Arctic Wolf logo. We have launched a swag store. So if you're listening to this episode, you probably read The Howler. That's where you'll find the link to the swag store. It's also on Confluence. Um, it's a limited time drop. So I think you'll have until the 29th if you want to place any orders of Arctic Wolf swag. Um, but you'll find more details on Confluence. So you, I, you all ask all the time. <laughs> Where's, we want to buy more swag. We want to buy it for our family. We want to buy it for ourselves. Um, now you can. So check that out. And also, if you're listening, make sure you stop by the Howler Slack channel, share some insights. We've got some goodies to give away, some hats, some beanies, maybe some teas and puffers. So 
leave your feedback. You might just be a lucky winner. So with that, let's jump in and hear all the great things Dan had to share with us this episode. All right. Welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here. Okay. So we have heard that you are a big fan of Disney. So we thought, you know, we're recording this in the morning. We thought we'd warm up with a little bit of fun. So we are going to test your Disney knowledge with some Disney knowledge. We left this off of the, the pre-podcast note. Sorry, we didn't want you to come prepared. Oh, right. yes. <laughs> yes. To our audience, um, Dan did not know that this was going to happen. So surprise, surprise. All right. First question. Who was the only Disney main character who didn't talk throughout the entire film? The only Disney main character who didn't talk. Mm-hmm. Wow. Main character. Well, I guess, wow, I don't know. You stumped me on that one. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you the answer? Sure, yeah. Dumbo. Oh, yeah, geez. Yeah. Um, but see, look, I have a Disney shirt on. You probably can't see it. Oh right there. So I came prepared. Love Okay, maybe hopefully you can redeem yourself as we continue on. You got to warm up into it, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's Monday morning. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what full-length Disney animated film was only shown in 14 theaters across the globe because of its complicated audio? Oh, wow, man. I'm a Disney (laughs) expert, but I'm not going to do well in this one. I, let's see. So 14 theaters, because if it's complicated audio, I'm going to go that's probably Fantasia. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. Wow. Um, yeah, because in 1940, most movie theaters weren't equipped with the sound system needed for the movie. All right. A little redemption. Yes. Um, everyone knows that Cinderella lost a glass slipper as she left the ball at midnight. But did it fall off of her right foot or her left foot? Oh, man. I'm going to go. With, I, I have no idea, but I got a 50-50 shot. So I'm going to go mm-hmm. with her right foot. Mm. The other one. There you go. (laughs) Left foot. Who was the only Disney princess to have brothers? Uh, Well, as Merida from... uh, Yeah. Correct. Yeah. All right. Good job. Okay. These are about the parks. The last two. What is the name of the... uh, Excuse me. What is the name of the underground tunnels connecting various areas of the Disney World parks? Utilidor. Yeah. I had never even heard... I had had heard of the tunnels, but I didn't know that that was the name. I've been in them. That's wild. Whoa. Do you know why it's called that? Um, It's like a utility corridor. So they just kind of squish the words together. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Last question. How tall is Cinderella's castle? Oh, God. I have no idea. I know it's. it looks a lot taller than it is because they use forced perspective. I'm going to go, I don't know, 175 feet. Oh, you're so close. 189 feet. Oh, there we go. Okay, I would say, I mean, I knew none of these going into this, so I'm pretty I'm pretty impressed. Uh, I could have done better. <laughs> my, my wife would be ashamed of me. But, uh... I will say I specifically Googled um, like hard tri- Disney trivia. I didn't want to give you the easy stuff. You well, know? look, and, and even, you know, this is my Hollywood Studios coffee mug. So this is unplanned, but uh, <laughs> I, I am I am representing Disney today. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, I'm curious, like, what do you think has, um, like, gives you your love for Disney? Like, is it the innovation or the magic? Yeah, I guess, I guess for me, one was just my kids grew up loving it. And so there's so many memories I have of my family and, you know, the, the joy it brought my kids and going to college here in Orlando, you know, we would come down as often as we could uh, to, you know, escape, you know, school and, you know, side jobs and sports and, and everything. And so it was always fun. But for me as an engineer, I just marveled a, a lot at the parks, at the innovation that they built into the into the parks. And so it was a combination of entertainment and innovation for me that that was really exciting. So uh, I think that's part of the reason I loved it. I, but but mostly it was just watching my kids grow up and, and how they saw it and enjoyed it. And uh, it just always brings back memories of my, my kids now that they're all grown. Oh, that's so sweet. I will say, I always like to listen to, or like Google our podcast guests, our leaders, just to listen to, like read articles and listen to some of their podcasts. And one thing I noticed in some of yours is I noticed some language like that was magical to me and some dark Darth Vader um, references <laughs> and stuff. And I kind of loved that influence seeping through in, in your day to day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, well, I'm a nerd too. So Star Wars uh, will be a big, uh, big part of my, my uh, way to relate with people. But yeah, no, it's, it's been a big, big part of the life. And, you know, I literally can leave my house and be at Cinderella's Castle in about 15 minutes. So it's, uh, it's wow. fun. Well, thank you for indulging us in the little Disney trivia, Disney segment. Maybe <laughs> when we bring you back, we'll have to do a Star Wars segment. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so we want to go back to Younger Dan um, and start off with, did you always have an interest in computers and what led you to computer science? Yeah, I think as a as a kid, I I had an, always had an interest in what's new, what's new and different, and uh, I, I was kind of the quintessential early adopter. And so, uh, my father worked for IBM, and uh, I played around with some computers early on. I had my first computer ever was a Timex Sinclair, which was uh, a little tiny computer about this big, and it had uh, you know a keyboard. And on top of the keyboard, it had basic programming um, commands. And so you can like learn to program in basic and you would save it to a cassette tape and play it on a TV. And so I, I thought that was cool. Uh, eventually graduated and, and my dad got me an IBM PC when they first came out. And just, you know, the ability to create something mm-hmm. was fascinating. You, you could develop something and then see what you created immediately it was it was fascinating to me and I, I was immediately hooked wow did you foresee computers like being around computers and kind of within the industry did you did you foresee computers becoming what they are now and like cell phones and all those sorts of things I, I did actually so I mean I just being an early adopter uh, mm-hmm. of that I knew the power that the, the PC had and and how it could change the world. And then later, uh, back in 2005, I was doing a project at Microsoft called Project Xeno. Um, and this was at the direction of Bill Gates. And we were trying to project 10 years into the future, which would have been circa 2015, and what the world was going to look like and what we needed to do to secure that. And we mm-hmm. we nailed, um, and it wasn't just me, it was like a, you know, a whole collection of really smart people. Um, 
but we nailed the prediction, you know, of the smartphone really being the center of the individual's universe, you know, adapting to a car interface, adapting to a PC interface, you know, Mm -hmm. computer in your hand and location awareness and all that stuff like that. So, yeah, I kind of saw how this was going to change the world. And I think, you know, this, uh, the mobile phone in particular, a lot for good, a lot for bad. Um, but, uh, but in general, it's, it's, you know, I think we're always evolving, uh, technologically. And, you know, when you get a chance to, to be hands on to something that's early stage, you can kind of fantasize and envision about what it's going to do to change the world. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I feel like we could spend the next mm-hmm. 30 minutes talking about just what it looked like to predict 15 years into the future. I, that'd be such an interesting table to sit around. I'm sure the data and the conversations were. And now to have the, what's it called when you look back? The hindsight to look back and be like, oh, we were right. Yeah, yeah it was surprising. You know, we had futurists come in. We had a bunch of smart people at Microsoft kind of projecting too. And and we, we nailed it pretty good. I would say the one thing we missed is we thought there would be more uh, what we were calling mesh networking, where people would leave some bandwidth on their home routers and create a mesh. So as you're walking through an urban environment, you're basically picking up Wi-Fi signal from other people's routers. That's probably the only thing we missed. But with 5G, you know, you ended up having ubiquitous, you know, uh, broadband connectivity anyway. So the, the rest of the scenarios played out. But it, it was a fun project. It, it was really a fun project. Yeah, so cool. Well, so little Dan loved computers, saw the power they had, wanted to pursue it. You go to school for, was it computer science? Yep. Okay. And then we were just perusing your LinkedIn and we saw that four years into your career, you end up as a VP of business development. Tell us like being in leadership at such a young age and so early in your career, looking back like a what set you up to make such a huge like jump into leadership so early and and be looking back what did you learn from that yeah i think i i got lucky again this goes back to kind of being on the cutting edge so when i when i worked at oracle a couple jobs before that i was working in um the emerging technologies group which was all around um interactive television which was kind of the predecessor to the internet and just because it was such a new field and a new you know market uh just being involved alone just allowed me to show, you know, technical leadership and and be able to to kind of end up leading teams. So I was only, you know, my second year into that job, I was managing a pretty big team of folks and we were doing really incredible innovation stuff that frankly, the internet still hasn't delivered. And, um, and then when I moved into Informix, I moved into an architect role and I was building out an architecture for an object relational database and we decided that M&A was going to be a route to help expedite that. So I got put on loan to the Corp Dev team to uh, go find uh, technical you know, targets. And along that way, you know, I got introduced to looking at their business plans and their P&Ls and like a lot of the financial stuff. And I really enjoyed that. So I went out and bought the Harvard Portable MBA series. It's like they picked up a full bookshelf and I read every single one of them front to front to back and tried to educate myself on that uh, without, you know, taking the time off to go back to school. And uh, I met an entrepreneur through that process who then started a company and he brought me in to kind of lead the strategic and and business development side. And so, and for me, it was a great opportunity to balance my technical capabilities Mm -hmm. with business capabilities. And and Mm -hmm. if you peruse my LinkedIn, you'll see that's kind of 
stayed a trend for the rest of my career. And so I had a lot of fun doing that job. Um, uh, the company ended up uh, being sold to Kodak uh, in a pretty nice transaction. So it was uh, it was a fun period. Um, the Harvard MBA curriculum, what was the most challenging content you to learn from it? That's a great question. To me, it was the counting, um, you know, like a lot of the, the other more, you know, theoretical stuff was easy to consume, but actually understanding the accounting principles was uh, was harder to do. And, and I, you know, I took all the little tests in the book to, you know, make sure I was grokking stuff. And uh, I've long since forgotten all of it. But at the time, it was great. It was I, I love to to try and, you know, continuously educate myself on things like that. I think that's why I love cyber, because it's just a market that you, you can never rest. You always have to continuously educate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. What about from the leadership side? You're managing tons of people early on in your career. You're reading the Harvard MBA curriculum. And I feel like often there's you can read so much about leadership, but then when it comes to doing it, it can be a lot harder said than done. Any yeah, I, I think from that. Yeah, I think for me, I probably learned more about leadership uh, through my athletic endeavors than I did through anything else. I think you learn how to to build a team, uh, build a good team, how to rally a team, how to make a team feel that they're capable of doing more than maybe they think they are. Um, and and I think I learned a lot from that. I think along the way, you know, you had leaders that you wanted to emulate, and you also had some leaders that you, you didn't want to emulate. You learn you learn what bad leadership looks like, and you know. So for me, I also always tried to seek out mentors uh, that people I did, uh, you know, want to emulate and who inspired me, and, and try and learn as much as I can from them. And and in many cases too, that was people I never met. You know, I just found somebody that I thought was a great leader. I wanted to learn a little bit more about them. I'd read their biography, read their story and, uh, and learn a lot that way. And then like many people, I, I did, I have read a lot of books on leadership and, and I, it, you know, the more I read through it as somebody who, you know, I can grew up with athletics, it seemed common sense to me in a lot of ways, but uh, it's, uh, it's still, you know, always good to, to get different perspectives. Okay, that was great. Now we are going to take a really short break and hear a recent win from our sales team. Hey guys, my name's Jody, one of the account team here in the UK. Was asked to talk about a win we had back in the summer. We could write a book on this one. Uh, happy uh, to see this logo finally come in. The customer certainly made his work for it over a uh, 12 month sales cycle. Firstly, thanks to Daphne, our SDR, for the initial find and the introduction back in mid 2022. We initially met with the head of infrastructure. He received our initial pitch really well and was quite concerned about the amount of cyber risk uh, across a, uh, an attack surface that spanned the globe, but was unable to articulate the commercial proposition to the very senior management team at the organization. But we kept in contact and fast forward a few months, the pace was injected um, with a trusted partner who knew our contact but more importantly, it coincided with an old working relation, a, a new contact starting who's going to be the face of um, uh, global IT ops. So he critically became our executive sponsor. So armed with both the technical and commercial champions, the project started to receive senior visibility. We further increased urgency when Rich Fenton uh, ran a pre presented an external vulnerability assessment, which alarmed the customer greatly and unpatched Exchange Server facing the internet and usernames and passwords on the dark web is going to do that. So that motivated the customer to work with us to build the business case. 
would you believe it, shortly after the global head of IT handed in his notice. So um, there was a, a lot of to and fro in, but fast forward again, a large tender res response. Thanks again to Rich, we're truly getting adept at these. Multiple presentations, demonstrations, a fantastic reference call, thanks to Nicola Hall, our customer services or customer success director here in EMEA. And then we were summoned before their procurement director they used every old school tactic under the sun to keep the deal competitive and try and extract a deal that they felt was best for those guys. We secured the deal based on them extending from MDR only to MDR and MR and uh, closing it into uh, the quarter that we wanted it to. Uh, they say never win or lose alone and the extended team at Arctic Wharf really played a part in that. So very proud of this one, but certainly one of those deals glad to see it finally go the line. You were just mentioning, um, you know, seeking out mentors, reading books, uh, different leaders that have influenced um, your leadership philosophies. Do you, can you recall any of those books or leaders off the top of your head that you could share with the audience? Yeah, I mean, my favorite leadership book, uh, and I've given this to to many people as a gift is it's a book by Ken Blanchard called The Leadership Pill. You can read it in maybe an hour. It's a very short, short book. If you're familiar with Ken Blanchard, he writes um, leadership and business books that are driven by a story and they're very short. Um, there's not a lot of pomp and circumstance around him. So you, he gets to the point through the story very well. This was the story was about is somebody basically a born leader? Can they take a pill and become a leader? And it's a fascinating story about about leadership, and uh, it, it to, to me it was it hit home. Uh, and and I do think there is an element to some people are just natural leaders, but I do think some people can learn to be better leaders, and that's kind of what the what that book was about. So I, I on the bookshelves behind me, I probably have five copies of them sitting on the shelves there, just in case I want to hand them out oh, wow. uh, to folks. But uh, it was a really impactful book for me. Yeah. Okay. I have written it down and I will look it up. <laughs> um, so from, you know, you said you learned a lot of your leadership lessons from sports. Um, and then as Mary mentioned, you've held a lot of different leadership positions in your career, CEO, CPO, general manager. Um, so how has your philosophies changed from sports to now here at Arctic Wolf? How, how have your leadership philosophies changed? Yeah, I think, um, you know, methods change with the times. And I think uh, as a Gen Xer, I think we were we were a little more accustomed to tough love than I think uh, is appropriate today. Uh, so uh, I always tell the story. Uh, my high school football coach was the coach at Army. So he was like a pretty hardcore guy and and he would hit us and he would berate us and, you know, and we didn't care because, you know, he was in, in you know, from his era, that's kind of how you, you built strong men and look like that's not going to fly today, right? You can't do those things today. And so that's part of leadership is adapting to the team you have, adapting to what's, you know, capable uh, in the times. And so I think today uh, you, you made reference earlier, Mary, about my, my Darth Vader references. I always teach people leadership. There's a time to be Yoda and there's a time to be Darth Vader. And, and the default is Yoda. The default is coaching, inspiring, you know, making people believe. 
Uh, and then every once in a while, the red lightsaber does have to come out. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you do have to make sure people are accountable and executing and stuff like that. But that's not the default. And I think back years ago when I was younger, you know, I think it might have been Darth Vader was the default and Yoda was the exception. Um, and I'm much more of a Yoda guy anyway. Like I, I love you yeah. know, trying to, to inspire people and motivate people. And, uh, and, and so I think that's kind of how things have changed over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll oh, go ahead. Jules. Oh, I was just going to ask, um, as you've like moved along your career, has it become more clear to you? You know, you said Yoda is the default. Is it very clear to you now when you need to be Darth Vader or is there, is there still that moment where it's like, mm, which path should I take today? <laughs> this yeah. situation? I think if, if uh, you know, I have a lot of people say, well, you know, what's the one critique of you? I think I may actually Yoda too long sometimes. You Yoda um, too hard. I, I Yoda yeah. too hard. Uh, and so, but, but, you know, I think. You, you certainly want to give everyone an opportunity to grow. And Darth Vader doesn't mean, you, you know, you cut their head off. It just means right, right, sometimes, right. you know, you have to kind of be a little more dictatorial about a direction as opposed to try and, uh, you know, you know, guide people there. Um, I think by default, what a leader wants to do is get people to want to, to, to join them, want to kind of, you know, charge the hill or, or whatever analogy you want to use. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you do have to say, look, I, I have, I've been through this. I have the experience. We are going to do this, whether you like it or not. And, and that is the rare, the rare occasion. I think it's better to get, uh, get the teams rallied around you. Um, and, and, but I, you know, I think I probably Yoda longer than I should in some occasions, but I would rather do that than, you know, be Darth Vader too early. Mm -hmm. Well, it makes me think of last month we had Adamari on the podcast and he talked very similar about how it's so important as a leader that you're providing positive and like the coaching and here's all the amazing things you're doing at a greater rate than the critical feedback, just because while the critical or constructive feedback is important, like we can't just assume that people know they're doing great, um, but like reinforcing it. So I, I feel like very similar of like making sure Yoda is there and present and coaching. And you've said multiple times, even just in this conversation of helping people believe they can do more than they're capable of and believing in bigger. What's your favorite way to do that? Or what are some of your methods of encouraging people to reach for more than maybe they think they're capable of? Yeah, I, I think you always have to, you know, whenever you're coaching or giving them, you know, constructive criticism or, or whatever, you, get, you have to end with and I, you know, the inspirational, and I know you can do it. I believe in you and, and stuff like that. Cause you know, everyone, uh, nobody really wants to hear from any, Oh yeah, I could have done better at this. Like everyone that, you know, hopefully that impacts everyone a little bit, but when your leader says, but I know you can do it and I believe in you, <clears throat> it kind of gives you that. All right, good. You know, they believe in me that, you know, I should believe in me. And, and again, it goes back to, to growing up in sports. I had a baseball coach who frankly didn't know a whole lot about baseball, but he knew how to make me feel like I was better than I was. And, and as a result, I think I, I became better than, than I probably was. And, uh, and, and that's what you need to do with everybody. Um, you, you need to coach them, help them understand what they could have done better, but let them know that you have faith and, and believe that they can do it. So Dan, for people that want to follow in your footsteps and aspire to executive leadership, and maybe not at the same pace with which you made it there, but what would you say are the, like skills or areas to focus or even mindset shifts 
that have been helpful in going from that individual contributor or that like superstar Michael Jordan innovator to now I inspire and coach and lead others in, in getting the work done. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one the one thing I, I always state to me is the most important character trait of uh, a strong leader is humility. Uh, and, and humility can take many forms. One is, you know, certainly we're all going to make mistakes. I'll, I'll make several today, I'm sure. But understanding that you've made a mistake, trying to learn from it. And, and the first step in learning is acknowledging um, and, and then being able to learn and adapt. And, you know, I try and encourage my teams, I want you to make mistakes because if you're probably not making mistakes, you're not pushing hard enough and it's okay to make some mistakes, you know, as long as you use it as a learning opportunity. So humility plays a huge role in that. That also means you don't know everything. So you build good teams of people who do know things uh, that you may not know. So I always like to say, when I sit at my staff meeting, I'm hoping I'm the dumbest person there because I, I want to surround myself with really intelligent people. So as, as you may have heard, I love to learn from the yeah. people around me. And that doesn't just mean from, you know, from, you know, people more senior to me, it means from everybody. Uh, everybody's got different skills and knowledge and capabilities. And I, I love to learn from, from all of them. And so I think that's a part of being a, you know, having humility. And then the other part is I, I always try and um, tell uh, younger folks is the, the one thing you cannot control is if somebody has more talent than you. Uh, the one thing you can control is if you outwork them. And that, that is an element uh, that, you know, certainly uh, throughout my career, I tried to make sure, you know, I was putting in an extra effort, particularly when you're establishing yourself in your business. And, you know, I can remember my, my first job, I worked uh, 10 in the morning till two in the morning, seven days a week for a year. Oh my goodness. And, uh, and I calculated out, I was like making less than minimum wage. If you factored in my salary to the number of hours I was putting in, but one, I, I actually enjoyed it. And, and two, I felt I was proven myself and, uh, and I was learning a lot as I was doing it. So you know, that those things, I'm not suggesting anybody do that. Yeah, that was absolutely. insane. Right. But you know, that work ethic and it doesn't, it doesn't mean longer hours. Right. Uh, it just means, you know, just working hard and, and doing what you need to do. I think that's something, again, a trait uh, I've learned through athletics is, you know, you may right. have an, you know, an opponent who's better than you in talent, but if you outwork them, sometimes you can still, you know, overachieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so funny, Dan. As you were talking, I, I was literally going to say, you can just hear the athlete in you. <laughs> like the, <laughs> the idea of like, you can't control if someone has more talent, but what you can do is outwork them. Like I can hear a coach telling me that right now. <laughs> oh, so I love that. <laughs> um, great. Well, we- though, to the, to like talking about wellness and, and mental health. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, so- that's a huge aspect of it. And, you know, everybody handles you know, stress and mental health differently. You know, for me, it is working out and, and doing things athletically. It just, it, you, you get in a zone, you focus on improving in other ways. And it just, it just takes a lot of the stress away. Um, and, and I will say that that era when I was doing nothing but work, yeah, the stress builds up because you don't have any stress relief and, and mental health is incredibly important um, aspect. And so whatever helps you, whether it's fishing or reading or, running or biking or whatever, uh, going to Disney, you know, happy sleep, whatever it is, make sure you find time to do it. Great. Well, you've kind of already answered this because we were going to ask how you prioritize mental health, but maybe if you want to expand a little bit how you prioritize that when 
you are working 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. or, you know, have a busy life? And maybe also how do you then model that to the rest of your team so that they feel like they can also prioritize their mental health? Yeah. So a, a few things like I think uh, to each his own, like some people is like, you know, it could be yoga, meditation, you know, powerlifting, like what, whatever it is that gets you in the zone where you can focus on something else uh, for a period of time is, is always helpful. And you can do that in the middle of the day. Like I always uh, found it, you know, when I was younger to do a workout in the middle of the day, it was just breaking up kind of my day, particularly if I was working late, you know, get me a, a good workout in the middle of the day. Now, as I gotten older, I'd like to do it in the morning. Um, but, you know, that that was a big, big part of helping. Um, and then finding, you know, finding joy in, in the people around you. And so kind of one of my other mantras to my folks is family first, you know, uh, job is, is super important. That's how, how many people help provide for their family. But at the end of the day, it, it's it's a job and your family is your family. And that that's your first and important obligation. Um, and, you know, so, f you know, family means a lot of different things to different people, depending upon, you know, who you surround yourself with. But um, that that's a really important aspect. So for me, as my kids, uh, as you can imagine, were very heavily involved in athletics as well, making sure I was there to 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 watch them, be with them, in many cases, coach them. Um, <laughs> And I look back and now that they're all grown and they're all college athletes and, and they're all uh, all through school now, okay. it's some of my greatest memories uh, mm -hmm. is, is, you know, being with them while they're performing and, and, and doing stuff like that. So it, it's, it's just an important way to have an outlet. Mm -hmm. Okay. A little bit of a sidetrack, but I have to ask, how did you... How did your kids feel having dad as coach? Because I also had dad as coach a lot of my life. And during that time, I will say, I don't know if I loved it. But when you're when you're young, I don't know if it's the best. <laughs> I guess you'd have to ask them that question. But I think I think they I think they enjoyed it um, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's just, you know, great time to have, you know, dad around as well. And yeah. um, and, you know, I think. And in, in, in youth sports too, so unfortunately, sometimes a lot of people coach who don't know what they're doing. So mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, you know, hopefully I was an, actually a good coach on top of it, but uh, it was just a good time for us to, to spend time together. In fact, if you hear any complaints from my kids, it's that I didn't coach enough of their sports. You know, oh, my youngest cool. daughter's like, you didn't coach my softball team, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. So hopefully that's a good sign that they enjoyed it. Yes, that's so yes. sweet. I love that. And I was thinking too, when you were talking about like prioritizing family and how you did make sure that you got to coach your kids and be there, but you also had that season of working 10 AM to 2 AM, right? Yeah. I didn't have kids then. Right. <laughs> Someone that's listening, that's like, Oh my gosh, how am I, how can I, that's, I'm so overwhelmed by that. I think it's, I was just thinking there's a season for things and sometimes there is a season to grind it out and set a really strong foundation for what's next. But also there's seasons for, more balance, right? It's not, you haven't worked 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. your entire career to be. No, no, no. That was just, that was early, early days, but I'll give you a great example. So when I was at Microsoft, I actually coached um, like a high school football team, like a freshman football team. And uh, I would leave work around four o'clock, um, coach them. I'd get back home around seven o'clock and I'd work for a couple more hours. And mm -hmm. so I was able to kind of get my, my work in around doing stuff like that. So I was there for my family. I was there for the, for the community. And, uh, but I still, you know, found time to, to get work in. Um, 
And so it, it, you know, you can, you can have that kind of, you know, intersect with your work life. Well, Mm -hmm. and again, you don't have to work 12 hour days to be a hard worker. You just have to be an effective worker while you're focused at work. Um, and, and so I, I think, I'm, I'm a more effective worker when I have those opportunities to do things like that and, uh, you know, spend time with, with younger kids and, you know, be hopefully somebody that they're talking about if they're doing a, a holler interview in the future that they had a coach <laughs> that inspired them. And, and of course, you know, having my son be on that team was a, was a great uh, treasure as well. I love that. Well, I think you make an excellent point about effectiveness because anybody can sit their butt at their desk all day long and answer emails and Slack, but like, how effective are you being? And there can be people that are like extremely effective in eight hours than somebody that's putting in 12 because they're so efficient. They've created processes and have scaled their processes and and used leverage tools. Um, So I love that piece on effectiveness, like what value you're bringing, how effective are you being? How can you be more effective? It doesn't necessarily need to take more time. Well, exactly. It's like, you know, you can, you can go to the gym and grind out a, a, a hard 45 minute workout. And then some people go for two hours and they are a little more casual about it. And, you know, whatever works for you is fine. But at the end of the day, you still got 45 minutes of hard work in one way or the other, just determine how much time it took to get that 45 minutes in. That's true. I love that encouragement. Yeah, take as much time as you'd like. I personally want the more efficient route, but... <laughs> Um, we've been talking a lot about work ethic, working efficiently. So switching gears a little bit and talking about work here at Arctic Wolf, we want, we wanted to ask you a little bit about product and R and D. Um, and so again, we stalked you on LinkedIn a little bit and we saw, um, I think in your little blurb about yourself that you prioritize quality, innovation, agility, and results. So first of all, love that. Second of all, how does that influence how you lead the product in R&D org here at Arctic Wolf? Yeah, so I, you know, quality to me, particularly being in cyber is critically important. Um, so I always talk about speed, quality and innovation. And I focus on those three things for, for a few reasons. One is we're one of the few industries that we just don't compete with other vendors. We, we have adversaries. That, that's really our competition. Um, and so they move at super fast speeds. They're, they're, they're constantly adapting their, their skills and their, their uh, uh, techniques and tactics and procedures. And so we have to be able to move at speed as well. But you have to be able to move at speed and produce high quality. Because if we fail, uh, we either fail open and the, the bad guys get in or we fail closed and the business can't function. Uh, both are bad. And so you, you can't, you really can't do that. And so quality becomes very important. And the last piece is once you do those two things well, then innovation becomes much easier. And the reason why we also are in an industry that you have to innovate is our adversaries are incredibly innovative. And so it's not really an industry where you can be a fast follower because, you know, there's no such thing if the hacker, you know, breaking your defenses. And so you have to be kind of on that front edge of innovation, but you can't also be so innovative that you're producing poor quality. So it's a great balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for us, we focus on speed, quality, innovation. Um, obviously, as a company that's you know still relatively new and growing and maturing fast, we have a lot of work to do in all three of those categories to kind of be where I would like us to be. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't surprise me where we are given, you know, you know, we're, we're still a relatively young company. And so 
we're building out that kind of maturity and, and those capabilities in-house. And I think the team's doing a great job, you know, talk about hard work. They're putting a lot of really hard work into to get there as quickly as we can. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tough task to improve in all three of those categories, but I see the team doing it. So I'm really encouraged. That was great. We're going to take a quick pause right now to hear a security win from one of our security services pack members. Hello, everybody. My name's Christian Mineski. Uh, I'm a concierge security engineer three in the Eden Perry office, uh, nearly two years at Arctic Wolf as a concierge security team team captain. Here to showcase a recent security win. Uh, just for a little bit of my past experience, I'm an ex-ethical hacker and security analyst. Um, the security win was involving a recent Citrix investigation. Uh, Arctic Wolf in July and October put out a security bulletin on two major vulnerabilities in Citrix Netscaler. Um, a threat actor was able to gain internal access to a customer environment using a Citrix Netscaler breach. Um, this is kind of a good story for CST interaction uh, because I was able to assist another concierge security team in an investigation because I had a very similar breach affect one of the customers I was supporting. Um, many organizations have been falling victim to this Citrix Netscaler attack in the past months. Uh, so everybody, please make sure to check your Citrix environments. Uh, to start this incident off, um, of course, um, there was some alerting that happened that, that let the customer know that they had a potential threat on their hands. Uh, our triage team did a great job pulling uh, first indicators out and alerting the customer to the fact that there was malicious activity inside their network. Um, they were able to take a phone call with the client and, and get the ball rolling really quickly on the investigation. Um, later in the day when the concierge security teams got involved, um, I was asked about the breach from another concierge security engineer. Um, due to the fact that I had just dealt with an incident very similar to this uh, in the recent past. Um, so I was able to go in and help this concierge security team by looking for indicators of compromise that I seen in the attack that I observed with my own hands uh, just a few days prior. Um, a lot of the things that I looked for, they used a normal um, remote access tool or legitimate remote access tool in the breach that I had dealt with. Uh, so I was able to build um, some information and gather that and share that with the concierge security team uh, to see that there was uh, some attempts to install legitimate remote access tools in their environment. Um, we also were able to enable uh, a, a rule to look for disabling of antivirus in that customer's environment because it was another indicator I had seen in the breach prior that actually tipped us off to uh, the threat actor in the environment I had investigated. Um, we were also able to, you know, gather all this information kind of after hours, which helped prepare uh, the concierge security team I was supporting uh, due to the fact they had an early morning meeting the next day and, and we were able to prep all the information they needed to share with the customer and make sure they had everything they needed for the investigation going forward. Um, a huge thing that, that Arctic Wolf can do uh, to, to support our customers is having that cross-team collaboration because uh, everyone knows that no one in the Arctic Wolf industry is is uh, proficient at knowing everything. And so when our teams get together and share information, uh, it makes our service just that much stronger. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, and I'm just thinking a little bit, you know, we had Adam Mari on last month um, 
And then uh, Mary and I were actually working uh, a career booth and chatting with some of our friends in S2, and they were just telling us different stories, you know, different hacks and things. And um, to your point about like, you know, we are fighting adversaries. It's like a really stressful (laughs) job. Like, how are you staying calm knowing that like the work and the products that you all need to develop and at the pace that you need to develop them at, um, you know, is like so important, (laughs) obviously, to the work that we're doing um, and to keeping everyone safe and secure. Like, that's not an easy task. Obviously. No, no, it's not. And there is certainly, certainly stress involved. But when you think about the mission, you know, our company's mission of uh, ending cyber risk, I mean, that that's all you need to to get you going and get you Mm -hmm. motivated to continue to do it is we're not just trying to produce a better product uh, to, you know, help, you know, efficient, whatever, you know, business operations. Like we're protecting people's livelihoods. Right. And if you can't get excited and motivated around that mission, I don't know what you can get excited about. And, and, you know, we, 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 we're great technologists. We're, we're out there innovating. We're, you know, growing our business, but we're also, you know, helping other people grow their businesses and protect their businesses and protect their livelihoods. And I, I can't think of a better mission than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Very compelling. And also if you love learning and solving challenges, like what a cool job to be in, like you're creating the future. <laughs> You're getting to innovate. You're fighting the bad guys and gals. Um, yeah. Once I got, you know, a taste of cyber, I was hooked. And and for those reasons, you know, if you're an early adopter, kind of innovative type person, you you just have to love this industry because you you can't afford to not be. And uh, and you know, it's the the fastest way to be obsolete in our industry is to not innovate. And so it's uh it's one of those environments it's one of those industries that just really gets me excited well i know hindsight's 2020 but looking back i feel like you were made for this career just like the fact that you out of your own volition like bought the mba curriculum and read through all of it just like you it seems you've always been a voracious learner and wanting to continuously learn and solve challenges and have always been an early adopter um, it seems like this was just like a field made for you and we couldn't have a better person leading our R&D and product organization. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think it's, um, you know, I, I'm pretty proud of the team we have now and uh, what we're what we're achieving. And, you know, the only way we'll be successful is as a team. And it's not just my team, you know, that the, the help and support we get from other parts of the organization to help us prioritize, guide us, give us feedback you know, review what we're doing, um, you know, the SE organization and Lane, Lane's the best SE leader in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so we get so much help from him and, and the marketing group and, and the, the go-to-market team and the sales. Like it's, it's such a great, like we are a pack yeah. and, you know, you can, you can think it's corny with all the howling, but it's real. It's like, yeah. it's really real. like the, the feeling that, you know, we're in this together and we're here to help each other is real. And I've never felt it this deeply at, at any other company I've worked for. And so um, the success that we'll have in our team is, is really going to be because of the help of everybody outside of our team as well. Mm-hmm. We are people, I was about to say, like, we're people experience. We would, we would never think that's corny. <laughs> we're all in. <laughs> well, you know, you have to let you talk to people who come to the, the first, you know, Arctic 
you know, onboarding and they got a haul at the end and you can see the looks on people. Yeah. Are we really going to do this? And now like, you know, two months later, everyone's howling like crazy. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really, it's a really cool culture that, uh, that we have here and it's, uh, I've never seen anywhere else. Um, we wanted to ask you leading the product and R and D team, what is one of the biggest challenges for your team right now? And then what is a recent accomplishment that you are most proud of? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest challenges we have, and I think many companies have this too, is, is how quickly can we continue to grow our AI capabilities? Uh, so in cyber, you know, AI has been a big part of both offensive and defensive uh, tactics for a long time. And it's, it's hit kind of a, a different level now with, with generative AI and just the investment that we're seeing across the globe. And so for us, it's like, how can we continue to, to grow as fast as we can? We've tripled the size of our team in the last 18 months. And, you know, we want to triple it again, you know, and so we got to keep growing and you got to find the right talent and you got to build out the right infrastructure to leverage what they're doing. So it's a big it's a big effort, um, <clears throat> but it's it's a challenge that we have to accept. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think it's a challenge that, you know, as an industry, we're going to all be signing up for. So I think that's probably mm -hmm. the biggest challenge. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the the biggest accomplishment um, is, is really just how much more mature we've become as an organization in, in my time here, building out uh, a little more planful capabilities up front, which gives us more visibility into what we're delivering, um, the ability to identify uh, the areas that we need to really drill into and and add more and more capabilities across the board. The team's grown quite a bit since I've been here and attracting all the talent that we've attracted, I think is a great accomplishment, particularly in a super competitive talent market. Uh, so and kudos out to uh, the recruiting team, but also the hiring managers who brought those people in. So I think we're, we're kind of setting the stage for being able to do speed, quality and innovation much better. And I've seen improvements in, in all three categories already. And so I think I'm I'm most proud of you know how we've grown the team, how we've attracted the talent we've attracted, and how we're setting ourselves up for success in the future. Okay, I love that because you're kind of saying you're most proud of the people. Um, I am. Yeah. I am. <laughs> um, okay, I have a, just a really quick bonus question before the the rapid fire. As a notorious early adopter, I just have to know like what are some current things you're early adopting right now. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I stupid things like I have a, I bought a, I don't know why I did this. I bought a robot window washer. I went like, cause we live in Florida and we get rainstorms all the time and it like blows, you know, it's yeah. debris on our sliding doors. She's like, Oh, go out and wash the windows. I'm like, I'm buying a robot window washer. <laughs> right. And so like, st I do stupid stuff like that. Um, I'm also, you know, also the, I, I have a Tesla and so I put it in self-driving mode way too often and it freaks everyone in the car out. And I'm like, the only way it's going to get smarter is if we let it do it. And it's not very good. I got to be honest with you. So it, there's been a couple of shady moments there, but uh, so yeah. So anything, anything that's, that's new and technological, I have drawers full of stupid gadgets <laughs> that I've bought that turned out to be, you know, nothing burgers, but you know, I got, got my whole house is wired up with solar and batteries and, you know, and uh, of course, living in Florida, I guess that does make sense. But, you know, just trying to early adopt any technology that I think is interesting. Now, what's freaking my wife out is like, I keep looking at 
like at some point I want to have one of these EV tolls, the, the uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing, you know, and she's like, I'm never getting in anything that leaves the ground with you under any circumstance. So, you know, not, not that I can ever get one, but I'm just like, I, I look at it and she's like, stop looking. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't know about that either. And I will say I was not expecting your first answer to be robot window washer. Yeah. Most I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> Yeah, does it work, Dan? No, it doesn't. Oh, no, it doesn't. No, it's it's great. It's great. Maybe if you're like in a high rise and you can like dangle it out the window, but for sliding doors, it keeps falling off. So, okay. I try. Yeah, that's that's the early adopter, right? Sometimes you embrace technology and it doesn't work out. So true. We got a chance the the losers, if you will, to find the winners. That's Couldn't think of a more eloquent way to put that. But also, I need the link because I am in a high rise and they never wash our windows. And so I'm just oh. stuck with like dirty windows. I will send you the link. the link. <laughs> you, ask for the link. you too could be an early adopter in the <laughs> high tech window cleaning space. <laughs> oh, man. Well, on that note, we are going to end with our rapid fire. So these are just fun questions. First thing that comes to your head. Shoot. Uh, best concert of your life? Uh, 1983, Judas Priest, Screaming for Vengeance, Iron Maiden, Number the Beast Tour. <clears throat> wow. Wow. Where was it at? It was in Binghamton, New York. <clears throat> oh, okay. Love that. Your favorite word? Uh, glorious. <clears throat> I use it too often, and I, <laughs> my wife yells at me like, "You can't like describe everything as glorious." But I, I, I do. Um, a place on your bucket list? Uh, that's a good question. I would probably say uh, Sardinia. <clears throat> haven't been there yet. Okay. What's something that most people often get wrong about you? Um, wow, that's a that's an interesting interesting question. Um, they probably wow, what is the I don't know. They probably think I'm. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I'm sure lots of things. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know. can't narrow it down to one thing. I you know I I think pro I don't think a lot of people recognize I grew up in New York. I think. So I've embraced the Florida lifestyle so much. Uh, okay. I, every time I tell people I grew up in New York, they don't believe it. Okay. Okay. And finally, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brought you joy. Um, this is a weird, well, I, I guess it's not weird, but uh, I, for some reason, I have a terrible memory um, and, and uh, my, my wife makes fun of me all the time for it. But I can remember one moment as a young child, it was like in kindergarten. And uh, my father worked the, the uh, night shift at the time at, at IBM. And I was in, you know, kindergarten. And for some reason, he came and pulled me out of school and took me to the zoo. And just that just stuck in my brain for all these years. Because I remember how happy I was mm -hmm. when uh, I got to see him. Because usually I come home from school and he was gone. You know, I'm in school during the day. I don't see him. And I come home and he was gone. And to, yeah. to spend that that afternoon with him and I was now five or six years old. I don't know why I remember mm -hmm. that, but I, I remember it vividly and uh, it was a great moment. Yeah. You remember, cause it was an important 
impactful moment. There's yeah. nothing like getting pulled out of school. You know, elementary <laughs> school. <laughs> You're like, ooh, yay. <laughs> okay. That's I love such a that. great reminder too that the little things make a difference. Like you might mm-hmm. not realize that little gesture of kindness or thoughtfulness. Like you're talking about it how many years later. So mm-hmm. and yeah. family first. And mm-hmm. family first. That's an important aspect for me. Well, yeah, so many great nuggets shared in this episode from just the encouragement to be continuously learners and to be humble and Mm -hmm. to be Yoda the majority of the time, but no one to pull out your Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah. That was more. Dan, it has been a pleasure. It has been glorious. (laughs) It's been magical. Glorious Monday. Yes. Thank you so much, Dan, for being on the podcast. This is great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. That was such a great conversation with Dan. Just like every other guest we've had, I feel like it could have been an hour longer. I mean, we could have had a podcast just on Disney trivia and I would have been happy. (laughs) (laughs) Although he did, he did have so many great nuggets to share around leadership and mental health. And I loved his sports analogies and you could just tell that he's like an athlete to the core. Yeah. yeah, Um, And even just been like, Clearly, he is an innovator at heart. And so just fun to hear about mm-hmm. some of his endeavors with that. I, I actually, I need the link to the to the robot window washers. Me too. Me too. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to take to heart, like, my inner Yoda and my inner innovator. Yes. yes. That it's okay to have both and just know when you need to use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the time for the red lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, thank you again for listening. And just a reminder to join the Howler Slack channel um, and share your thoughts. We would love to hear them. Um, and if there's anything that you want us to cover in the next episode or topic ideas or guest ideas, we'd love to hear it. So make sure you are in that channel. And if you are currently a PAC member, we have a lot of fun things coming up in November. It's honestly a very busy month. Um, We just had Halloween this last month, Um, so hopefully you had some fun there. And we also had our remote pack day, which was a lot of fun. Um, But coming up this month, a lot of our Pack Unity alliances are very busy. We've got Dia de los Muertos. We've got Diwali. um, We have Indigenous Heritage Month, Veterans Day, Remembrance Day. So uh, be a lookout. Um, be on the lookout in the Pack Unity Slack channel because um, our alliances will be sharing all of the ways that you can get involved and in the events that you'll be able to attend. Um, so looking forward to that. And then November kind of leads us right into the holidays. So next thing we know, um, we will be in like full holidays, holiday <laughs> celebrations. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. It's my favorite time of the year. Yes. So many fun things happening around the pack. I'm personally really excited for Indigenous Heritage. I know one of the events planned, Chelsea, kudos to her in leading this um, with our some of our Indigenous pack members and allies, but it's going to be a storytelling event mm-hmm. centered on that ritual within the Indigenous community. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. for that. Um, like Chelsea said, thanks for listening. If you're not a part of the pack but are interested in becoming one, check out articles.com backslash careers to see our own positions all around the globe. And we just hope everyone finishes today's episode feeling more connected and inspired. We are so grateful that you're part of this community that we call the pack. 
We'll talk to you soon.